Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, you can grab a seat. Uh, and good morning. Uh, this is uh, exciting. This is an exciting time in our semester right here at the start. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm our college pastor here at Anderson. I wasn't here last week, uh, but I'm here now, and I'm going to be with you moving forward. And so, man, we are just excited to have you here. If, you're, if this is your first time, an extra special uh, howdy, I suppose, uh, hullabaloo, connect, connect to you. Uh, we are just glad that you're here, uh, and we are glad that you're going to join us as we journey through the life of David. Uh, he's a biblical, historical figure, uh, David, who would become the second king of Israel. Uh, his life, though, didn't start out uh, with a kingship. His life started very humble beginnings, uh, very humbling uh, moments and experiences through his life. And as we track with him, we're not just going to get to see what happened to him, but we're actually going to get to see how he felt in those moments. Uh, The reason that we read from Psalm 27 uh, is because that was written by David during the time of his life that we're about to look at this morning. We're going to get to see not just the events, but we're going to get to see the emotion of what he was experiencing, of of as he was walking through these hardships and these circumstances, we get to see a, a, a deeper level of what was going on internally for him. And you see, what's so crucial about that, what's so incredible about that, is as we walk through his life, what we'll see is that circumstances in our world, they reveal his heart. Uh, But through that revelation, through those moments, our God steps in and he refines the heart of David to a point where uh, later in life, God would look at him and say, this is the guy who has a heart like mine. It's a heart that I want for myself. It's a heart that I hope all of us want for ourselves. Uh, One that is not just revealed by our world, but refined by our God. A heart that is produced in in situations and circumstances that that sometimes uh, look a lot like this. Spend all your time waiting for that second been overlooked in this life, (laughs) even as uh, Super Bowl visiting, maybe Super Bowl winning yet again in a week. Guys, man, even as this level of our life, uh, man, even no matter what 
a status we achieve no matter what accomplishments we might have. I mean, we've all experienced rejection. It's not a matter of if we'll experience being rejected or being overlooked. It's just a matter of when. And the reality is that a lot of us, we've walked through that already, right? We've experienced rejection on some level. I still remember my freshman year here at A&M, I had applied to a student organization that I was really excited about. And like two weeks into school, I got rejected. And it shook me up because I'd never been rejected in such like a formal way, right? Like with letterhead and everything. It's just like, no. I said, oh, oh. You know, like this, it's hard. It's hard to walk through this. It it shakes us up, right? We've been rejected in romance. We've been turned down by people that we're interested in, that we're romantically engaged with. We've been rejected in friendships, in relationships, in in organizations, in school, in in work. We've been rejected maybe even in our own families where we want the love or we want the approval of other individuals and yet they just won't give it. And when that happens, when rejection, it can shake us up, right? It, it, can, it can startle us and it can shake us to our core. It can, it can tear us down. It can, it can absolutely crush our souls. And when this rejection comes and when we experience it, a lot of times what happens is, is we begin to ask questions, right? We begin to ask the question of, of what's, what's wrong with that person, that they would not approve of me, that they would not accept me. What's wrong with me that I would force them into that decision? Why didn't I get that job? Why didn't I get that relationship? Why didn't I get that grade? And in that rejection, our response so many times is it's self-defensive or it's self-degrading. We either put up barriers or we attack ourselves. And when that happens, that, that response, that self-defense, that self-degradation, I mean, that is something that's born out of a heart of pride. Where ultimately our focus is inward. Ultimately, we think this is the most important thing possible. It's how we feel about any given situation. And yet when we look in Scripture, when we look at the life of David, when we see David experience incredible rejection, what's revealed is a heart of faithfulness, which is incredible. And inspiring. And something that I hope that we set forward as an example, something to follow. You see, when, when David was beginning out his life, he was born into a very tumultuous time in the nation of Israel. Uh, in fact, we, when we look at 1 Samuel 16, where David pops up, uh, we see that God is speaking to his prophet Samuel. And he says, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? God is speaking to Samuel. Samuel was his prophet. He was kind of the mouthpiece. He was kind of the go-to errand boy of God in the nation of Israel at this time. And so God's turning to him. He says, hey, He says, why are you upset about Saul uh, being rejected as king? See, Saul was the first king of Israel, but he was a terrible king. The people wanted him, even though God said, hey, it's not going to go well. He's going to mess up. He's going to hurt the the nation. He's going to hurt you individually. They're like, whatever. We just, we want him. We want a king. And he's like, okay. So he gives him Saul. And sure enough, Saul fails. Then Saul fails over and over and over again. And Samuel has been having to clean up after Saul's mistakes over and over again. Right before this, Saul was sent to this nation. He was sent to defeat this enemy of Israel. And uh, God tells him, hey, I'm going to give you victory. And I want you to clear these people out. I want you to move them away. It's an evil nation. It's a pagan nation. You got to get those people, just clear them out entirely. But when Saul goes into that battle, he gets, he's victorious, but he becomes buddies with the king, this guy named Agag. And so he becomes chummy with Agag. I mean, you got to, his name's Agag. That's hilarious. And so he, they become friends and that's wrong though, right? He wasn't supposed to befriend the king, the leader of this evil nation. And so Samuel has 
Cyrus to go to him. After this battle, he goes to Saul and he says, hey, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And so Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag says, surely the bitterness of death is past, right? So Agag's feeling great, right? In this little flashback, what we're seeing is Samuel had gone to Saul. He's like, hey, where's Agag? Saul's like, oh, he's still here. And so he's like, well, bring him up. And Agag's feeling good, right? Because he saw his nation destroyed, but Agag doesn't care. He cares about number one. So he's looking at himself. He's like, hey, this is awesome. He's cheerful. He's like, oh, death is past. You know, the thing you say to your friends. And so uh, Samuel looks at him, stone cold Samuel, and says, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And so Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Let's pray. No, I'm just going to say, yeah, that's, <laughs> what in the world? Samuel, let me read this again. Samuel hacked Agag to pieces, right? There's the A, there's the G, there's the other A, there's the other G. Like there's, he's been hacked to pieces just, just out in the field, just, you know, chilling. Samuel has to come in and clean up after Saul. And by clean up, I mean make a huge mess because he hacks him to pieces. Do you see this? He delivers this incredible, like diehard level one-liner of, hey, you, you took away all these other mom's kids. Your mom ain't gonna have no kids. That guy's like, how's that work? He's gone. He's gone. Why? Because Samuel had to clean up after Saul's mistake. And so God says, hey, this is, a long, this is one mistake and a long list of mistakes that Samuel's been having to pick up after. And so God says, it's time to end the reign of Saul. Saul is out. I've rejected him. It's time for a new king. And so he says, you need to go. You need to fill your horn with oil. Oh my goodness. And I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. He says, you don't need to worry about Saul anymore. Instead, I need you to go to this new place to find this new king who I've prepared for myself. I've rejected Saul, but I have someone else lined up. But Samuel has an issue with this command. He says, well, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Samuel is worried that Saul, because Saul's kind of lost his mind at this point, which, hey, if, if old slashy Samuel's scared of you, like that's, this is a bad sign that even he's scared of Saul. And so God looks at him and says, well, hey, you should take a heifer with you, right? The solution to all of life's problems, right? <laughs> Roommate drama, get a heifer. Ain't no thing. God says, if you take a heifer with you and you say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, he says, I'm gonna give you a better excuse. I'm gonna give you another reason to go. Not only are you going to anoint this new king, but you're actually gonna go perform a sacrifice. And so he says, if you take the sacrificial animal with you, this is your cover, right? This is your, this is your cover story on this kind of uh, secret mission that I'm sending you on. And so Samuel, and so he says, and so when you're there, you're gonna anoint for me him whom I declare to you. And so Samuel did what the Lord commanded and he came to Bethlehem. Samuel says, okay, I'm going to go to this place, this kind of out of the way little town, and I'm going to find the next king. And so when he gets there, he, the elders of the city, they come out and they're trembling, right? Why? And this is why context is so crucial in our scripture. Why are they trembling? Because Samuel just hacked a guy to pieces, right? Let's never forget that. <laughs> Samuel hacked a guy to pieces. Never forget. If you learn nothing else today, Samuel hacked people. Okay, so they're trembling, and they say, do you come peaceably? Samuel's like, yeah, don't worry. He says, I'm here peaceably. 
In fact, I've come to sacrifice the Lord. So, so in other words, consecrate yourselves. He says, uh, make yourselves ritually clean and come with me to the sacrifice. And so he consecrated Jesse and his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. He doesn't tell them why they're invited. He just invites them. He says, come with me to the sacrifice. And when they get there, he looks on Eliab. Oh, Eliab. And he thinks, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He says, oh, this has got to be it, right? He looks at the oldest son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, and he thinks this is it. Right, he's the oldest son, which means he should be like the number one inheritor. He says, uh, I'm assuming he must be an impressive guy, right? If he's so impressive that Samuel looks at him, he's just like, this is the dude, right? All signs point to yes. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but right now our society uh, has decided that the, the reigning king, the reigning sexiest man, sexiest man alive is in fact Blake Shelton. I did not know this until very recently. I'm horrified and so fascinated, uh, but it's, this is the world we live in, okay? Blake Shelton, I would say better seen here, uh, is the sexiest man alive. This is it. This is your king, okay? This is the one whom we as a society, we as a nation, have looked at him and say, yes. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. The testosterone needed to make that mullet, oh, it's going to carry him into all of our hearts. And so sure enough, Blake Shelton is the sexiest man alive right now. And Samuel looks at Eliab and he's like, it's Blake Shelton, right? This is it. He's got the mullet, the hat, that just toothy grin. Oh, man. That's who he is. And yet God looks at Blake Shelton and he says, no, 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 no. He turns to Samuel and he says, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. He says, you know, I've rejected Saul as king. I've also rejected Eliab. He says, for I'm not looking as a man sees. He says, I, I, a man, he looks on the outward appearance. He says, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks deeper. He says, I'm not caught up in the, in the flash and the in the mullets that this world has to offer, right? I'm not gonna get caught up in, in the image that someone wants to present of themselves. And we'll see in the next few weeks that Eliab had a dark heart. He, he, had, he did not have the greatest character upon which his life was built. God says, I see that in him and I've rejected him. There's another one who I've chosen. And so Samuel has every single son of Jesse come before him because appearances are deceiving. <laughs> Surprise, right? Appearances are deceiving. At first, you're like, it's a trash can. Then you're like, it's a trash can with a small firework in it. Then you're like, it's a trash can with a bomb. That is not, that shouldn't be legal. Like, what's going on in our world? Blake Shelton, trash can bombs, hell in a handbasket. I don't know what's going on, right? We're, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. So we look at this moment and we see this guy and Samuel realizes, oh wow, appearances can be deceiving. God says, you gotta look deeper. And so he makes all seven of Jesse's sons come before Samuel. And time and time again, Samuel has to say, this isn't it, this isn't it, this isn't the guy, this isn't God's man. The Lord has not chosen these. Until eventually they reach this very awkward moment where Samuel has to turn to Jesse and just ask, like, is there more? Like, is there another guy that we're missing? Are all of your sons here? And so Jesse says, well, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's, he's keeping the sheep. He's off. Literally, literally right here in the Hebrew, what, what he's saying is, 
uh, he's using this term for smallest, almost insignificant. Uh, it's just, you know, when we talk about like, don't sweat the small stuff. Like this is that term, it's that small stuff. It's like, don't even worry about it. Like don't even pay attention to it. Don't even, don't even, it shouldn't even make a blip on your radar. He says, yeah, there's this one super teeny tiny insignificant dude that I guess technically is my child. He says, but don't worry about it, right? He's off, he's off with the sheep. But Samuel looks at Jesse and he says, well, we gotta go get him. Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. In other words, this time is not done. This process is not complete until you bring that guy to me, until you bring him in. And sure enough, Jesse sends for the smallest son, a kid named David. And when he shows up, he's ruddy, he has beautiful eyes, he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is says, this is the guy. This is the one that I've chosen. I've rejected Saul. I've rejected these brothers, but I have received David as my chosen one, as, as the future king of Israel. And so if we kept reading, we would see that Samuel pulls him aside. He anoints him. He tells him kind of privately, hey, you're going to be the king of Israel. And, and that's a big moment. Right? That's, that's, an, that's a crucial moment experience. Like that, that, that's that moment that in our normal kind of classic underdog stories, like that would kick off some sort of grand adventure, right? That's the moment where someone busts down your door and says, you're a wizard, David, right? It's like, oh, like you're a Jedi. This is lightsabers for you. Throw it away, I guess. But what, you know, like this is the moment where you receive the sign of your destiny, like your destiny is here. It's intersecting you, right? We, we do this. We, we say, oh, I've been accepted to college. I've been accepted to Texas A&M University. Ha! Huh? So it begins, right? Baby bird's gonna fly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my way in this new world. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on this perfect life, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna just navigate these waters. I'm gonna make all these perfect friends. I'm gonna have this incredible experience. It's gonna be the best years of my life. Oh, wait, while I'm at college, I made eye contact with that person at the MSC. We're gonna get married. Right? They kind of looked at me for like half a second. They kind of smiled. I think it was actually a smile from something else, but, but it was still there, and I liked it, and we're getting married. Like we just, we take little affirmation pieces, and we just run with it, right? We, we have these dreams. We say, yeah, this is it. This is, this is the beginning point of my incredible journey of adventure. And if that's what happened for David, then our principle, our takeaway would be, yeah, listen, if people have rejected you in your life, if you've been overlooked, just Wait. Just wait, because eventually they'll see they were wrong. Eventually, everyone's going to recognize how great you really are, what you got, right? You, you, you got the stuff. They just, they're missing it. But that's not what happens. That's not our takeaway. In fact, when we fast forward a little bit into the life of David, after this moment, after this beautiful, uh, you know, anointing, this, this sign of like, hey, this promise of you're going to be king of Israel, all this great stuff, what we find is that a little bit later, when Saul, the current king, is, is having these fits of rage and madness, he um, is only calmed by music. And so he, he hears about uh, this kid out in Bethlehem who's a really good uh, musician. And so he, he wants to send for him. He says, hey, I, I want you to send to me David, your son, who's with the sheep. Now, we don't know the exact timetable. This could be a few weeks. could be a few months. 
But it's a time later, right? It's, it's some time after David's been told, hey, you're the chosen one. You're the anointed. You're God's guy. And yet, where is he? It's with the sheep. In other words, after this incredible light shining down, oil on the head, whisper in the ear, you're king. He goes right back into rejection. His dad goes straight back into, ah, just get out of here, sheep boy, I guess. Lamb lad, that'd be a good one. Get out. Go back to the field. No one cares. No one pays him any mind. No one pays him any attention. No one cares. No one thinks he's special. They go right back into rejecting him. And see, what's incredible is that David's there. Because a lot of us, maybe we would hear that promise. We would, we would see that in our future. We would have those expectations. We would think, yeah, no, I'm, I'm special. And if, if someone speaks against that, if someone rejects us, we would want to respond in a very different way other than going back to the sheep, right? If someone came to us and said, you're going to be the next king of the nation, the next time someone walks up to us like, hey, go take care of my sheep, we'd be like, no, I shall not. We speak like this now because we're a king. So you shout not sent with me there, right? We would speak differently. We would carry ourselves differently. We would think, no, like I need to stand up for myself, right? I need to push back. I need to prove, no, 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 no. You underestimate me. You don't understand who I am. You don't understand who you're talking to. We would want him to respond in a big, flashy, rebellious way. Because by golly, he's the next king of Israel. How dare they try to reject him? My daughter, Charlotte, is three years old now. Uh, and she is very strong-willed, which I appreciate her, in her sometimes. Um, but she sets her mind to something. Here she is thinking about it, plotting my doom. And she <laughs> decides, no, like the world needs to fall the way that I think it should fall. Like the, I, I have these expectations for how everything should be and, and it needs to be that way. Uh, I, I wish I had taken a photo this morning, but this morning at about 8.15, uh, Charlotte and I are loading up our car. The two of us are driving up here to the church because I work here sometimes. And so uh, when we were loading up, I'm in, you know, I'm in a rush. I'm like, hey, we got to go. You know, it's a big Sunday. I got to make sure we're there on time, get all these things straightened up. And Charlotte chose this morning to be the moment where, as I'm putting in her car seat, she just didn't like it. She didn't like it. She's like, it's too tight. And I was like, I'm sorry. You know, seatbelts are a thing. This is the law. I will go to prison if you don't obey the government, right? Like, this is from, this is above my pay grade. Like, you have to, and she just wouldn't have it. She wouldn't have it. She didn't like the way that I put it in her seat, so she's screaming. She's yelling. She's just, no! And she's just, ah! And she's just, tears are streaming down her face. And at this point, I'm, you know, also freaking out, and I'm getting very upset. I'm like, no, you have to wear it. And she were just looking and yelling at each other across the car. And I get out and I open back the door up and I unbuckle it and I get her out and I care. I don't even know. I started like carrying her inside, but I'm like, that's not gonna work. And so I just, we literally just stood in the middle of my driveway and I was holding her up like this. We looked like crazy people. I'm glad you're not my neighbor because we're just standing there and we're just yelling at each other's faces. And I'm just telling her, you have to wear your seatbelt. You have to. She's like, no. And for minutes, we're just, we're just stuck. 
and my grip is getting tighter and tighter. I'm like, I want to. And I just take her back inside and I put her on the car and I, I eventually calm down because I'm like, if I'm, yell, if I'm raising my voice, it's going to make her yell, raise her voice, right? This is terrible parenting advice right, right now. Do not, do not follow my path. But eventually I calm myself down. I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay, okay. She's still yelling. She's yelling. Her hair is just in her face. Her snot is on everything because she's already congested. So it's just just a snot mask. (laughs) Great for, you know, moisturization, but. (laughs) I just stop and I say, Charlotte, I say, Charlotte, what is wrong? I just try to get to the heart of my I'm like, what is wrong? Like what, what, what feels wrong? Like what's off? Like what can I fix? What is wrong? And she's looking at me, she's streaming out of her eyes. She goes, I don't know! <laughs> and then we just were silent for like a minute, no joke, just staring at each other. And now we're here. Uh, so <laughs> it worked. But we find ourselves in those moments, even in the moment, it's like, oh my gosh, like we, we find ourselves in those points. My mind was immediately going to the sermon. I'm like, man, we have these moments where life isn't falling the way that we want it to fall. It's not lining up the way we want it to line up. And we find ourselves fighting and stressing and yelling and fighting and stressing and yelling. And we're working ourselves up and we're talking to our friends about it. And we're just getting so upset and we're just bitter in our hearts. We can't sleep and we can't think and we can't do well in school because we've got all these things spinning. And in the very, at the very end of it, at the very heart of the issue, when someone really says, hey, like, what's wrong? Like, what can we do? We don't know. We don't know. We just feel like something's wrong. And try as we might, we just can't seem to fix it. And the truth is that we, we can't. The truth is that we're gonna have expectations in this world. We're gonna have relationships in our lives. We're gonna have moments that we walk into where we're rejected, that hurt. And we can't fix it. We can't heal ourselves. We can't change the way that people feel about us. We can't change the way that people interact with us. We can't change the way that that organization's gonna view us. We can't change that number that's been assigned to us. On some level, we're helpless. Which is why it's so incredible that when David's in that moment, when he knows what should be and yet it's not taking place, when he knows where he belongs and yet he's not quite there, instead of getting defensive, instead of looking down on himself, instead of asking those questions that honestly have no answer, he asks a better question. He asks himself, what do I have? What's right here in front of me? He's not occupying his time and thoughts thinking, man, how can I make those people think differently of me? How can I change my worth in those eyes? How can I, how can I prove myself? Or how can, I, how can I do better in these things? Instead, he looks at the situation and he says, you know what? I'm gonna release these expectations I might have for these people or these organizations, for these individuals. And instead, I'm just gonna say, what has God given me? What's right here in front of me? What's been revealed and how can I be faithful with that? because he's trusting that God's going to work through that rejection. He's trusting that God ultimately is in control, even when we're just spinning out. Our God has told us that we can trust him, that he's faithful, that even in our weakness, he's strong, that even in our failure, he's going to come through. 
So we can rest in that. He said, you know, even when the world looks at you and they see something worthless, he says, you can be mine. You can be my child. You can have the value of Jesus Christ given to you. Not because of something you do, not because of something you accomplish, but simply by believing. He says, I'm going to work through people who have been rejected. I'm going to work through the greatest rejection this world has ever seen. See, when, when John's writing about the life of Christ, he starts off talking about just the incredible majesty, the deity of Jesus Christ. He says, man, before all these things, before you knew what the world was, before the world was even created, he says, in the beginning there was the Word. He says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says, Jesus Christ is preeminent. He came before all of this creation, before all of these things. He says, Jesus Christ, in this glory, in this splendor, in this incredible height that we can never even fathom, he says, that's who he is. That's where he's from. And yet he says in John 1, when Jesus Christ stepped into what was his own, when he came to this world, when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, you know what happened? His own people rejected him. This Jesus Christ, who was in perfection, in glory in heaven, he stepped out and into our brokenness. And he was mocked, and he was scorned, and he was rejected, even to the point of death on the cross. Even rejected to the point of being murdered brutally. John says, through that rejection, this is what's incredible. Because he was rejected, Now to all who have received him, who believe in his name, who call on him to save them, he's given the right to become God's children. He says, through Christ's rejection, you can be received into the family of God for all of eternity. That's the solution. That's where your value lies. That's the ultimate answer to those unanswerable questions. We have to change the way we look at our world, change the way we look at ourselves. We have to recognize that ultimately our value is not found in that number or that position or that business card or that salary or whatever it might be. Our value is found in the fact that God would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die and be raised three days later to to prove that he has power over sin, he has power over death, he has power over this world to prove that there's a greater purpose, that there's a greater plan, that there's a greater path that's being laid out. There's a greater promise that we can cling to. And so even when this world doesn't make sense, even when this world rejects us, we can know I've been received by God as his son and as his daughter. I've been adopted out of sin and death. I've been adopted into the family of the Lord. And now I can live in light of that truth. I don't have to worry about changing the world to fit the way I think it should fit. Instead, I can be faithful with what God's put in front of me. God uses rejected people. He works through fishermen and prostitutes and widows and orphans. He works through people who the society would look at and say, it's the lowest of the low, worthless. And God says, no, I made them with a purpose. I made them for a reason. when we've been given that purpose, when we see that reason, man, we should walk into it confidently. 
That's why when we look at the life of David, I think there's, there's just three big things that I want us to take away. That David, when he was in the midst of that rejection, right, that rejection that we're all going to feel, that some of us are just so deep in right now, David, he acknowledged his feelings. I mean, he acknowledged the hurt. He recognized the feelings that that brought about, the emotion, right? That's why we read Psalm 27. David wasn't just this delusional, like, ah, whatever, sticks and stones. Like, he felt it. He felt the rejection. If we read that whole chapter, I mean, we would see he's, he feels attacked. He feels outnumbered. He feels rejected and scorned and overlooked. I mean, it's, he's in a rough spot. He's in a lot of darkness. And he does that over and over and over again. He finds himself in that place. It takes 15 years after Samuel's promise for David to actually become king. 15 years of David running for his life, sinking just to the lowest depths ever. And he feels it, man. He feels the hurt and he acknowledges it. But he doesn't stop there. He recognizes his feelings, but then he releases his expectations, meaning he's not so bent on making sure everything is the way that he thinks it should be. He's gonna trust God's timing. He's not gonna force the issue. He's not gonna force his hand. He's not gonna try to rearrange everything to be the way he wants it to be. He says, you know what? This is the way it falls. Ultimately, I can't make that person accept me for who I am. Maybe I just have to release the expectation that my parent will ever audibly tell me that they love me. It's hard. Not diminishing the pain, but it's releasing the expectation of something we cannot control. David says, I, I, I feel the hurt, right? I see it. I acknowledge it. I, I, I release the expectations in favor of trusting what God's doing and trusting God's timing. And ultimately, he remains faithful with what God's put in front of him. He says, man, I, I can't control the future. I, I, I can't put myself in that position right now. I'm not king at the moment, but I'm a shepherd. I've got these sheep, and I'm going to be the best shepherd I can be. I'm going to pursue faithfulness. I'm going to pursue excellence with what I've been given. So maybe you can't control the position that you wanted to have this semester, the relationships you wanted to form by this point in your college career. But man, there's opportunities right here in front of you to pursue excellence, to be faithful. You have those roommates. You have those family members. You have that class. You have that job. God's saying, what are you doing in those moments? What are you doing with what you've been given? That's why we as a ministry, we, we try so hard. We work tirelessly to, to give you opportunities to just be excellent where you are, to be faithful with what's in front of you. We, we want to create communities for you to be a part of. If you're like, man, I, I can't find a, a community of, of like-minded believers, people are following after Christ. We're like, man, we, we want to create that for you, that you can just step in and be faithful where you are. We, we want to create opportunities for you to go overseas, to be a part of God's mission, to bring the gospel to the world. You, you couldn't line up that internship or you didn't get that camp job. But man, we would love for you to go overseas, to go to a, an international campus and share the gospel with people that have never heard it. You can do that. It's right in front of you. It's an opportunity to be faithful where you are with what God's given you. We want to connect you with people that can help you and that encourage you with that. That's why we have these howdy cards that are scattered around the room where if you can just, you let us know who you are. You let us know where you're at and we want to follow up with you. We want to connect you with, with what's in front of you. Maybe it's a ministry here. Maybe it's something outside of these walls. 
But man, we want to help. We want to walk alongside of you as you're pursuing, man, how can I be faithful with what God's given me? How can I pursue excellence with what's in front of me? How can I turn my mind away from those defensive or degrading questions of what's wrong with that? What's wrong with me? Why didn't I get these things? And instead, we want to ask that question that David asked. What do I have? What has God given me? Where am I now? What can I do with what's been revealed? We're going to be rejected. Christ promises that to his followers. But in the same breath, He promises that you've been received by God, by grace through faith in who Jesus is and in what he's done. And nothing will ever take that away. So let's move forward in light of that beautiful truth. Let's ask the Lord to guide us as we do so. God, we thank you that you've given us, Lord, just an opportunity to to pull away and to to see what you have for us. Lord, to, to remember the words that you've spoken. God, you've given us such an incredible, incredible opportunity, not just to be known by you, not just to have a relationship with you, but God, to be, to be a part of your mission, Lord, to, to be a part of your work. God, you've provided a purpose in our lives. And Lord, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And Lord, it's something that we want to step into. Lord, it's something that we want to own. Lord, it's, it's something that maybe we don't understand at first glance, but, but God, we trust that at the end of times, Lord, there, there will be a revelation that comes where we see the tapestry unfolded. And God, we just, we thank you that you're at work, that you care enough to have these paths laid out. God, I thank you for just the rejection that I've experienced in the past and in the present. Lord, the, the closed doors, the no's that I've gotten, the, the times I've felt overlooked, God, I thank you for the way that you've guided my path in that way, Lord, the rejection that I felt freshman year that, that opened up opportunities because that time was free uh, for me to get involved in ministry. In ministries that would eventually lead me to this moment right here. God, I wouldn't be here without the rejection that, that occurred. And God, I, I'm so grateful that I can look back and, and have this confidence in what you've done. That, Lord, all of us can look back and we see the way you've been moving. And Lord, I thank you that we can look ahead and we can see the promises that you've made. Lord, the, the glory that we're headed to, Lord, the, the restoration we're gonna experience, Lord, the perfection that we get to be a part of, the relationship we get to maintain with you for all of eternity. Lord, we, we thank you for those promises. And Lord, we pray that that, that past, that proven faithfulness that you've given us, Lord, that the promises that you've made, Lord, we pray that those things would come together and in this present moment, it would create a confidence in our walk, a confidence in our minds and in our hearts that we wouldn't be discouraged, that we wouldn't be self just defeating, that we wouldn't worry about, uh, about the mindsets and the attitudes of the people around us, but that, Lord, ultimately we would see that our worth is in you, our value is in you, and our purpose, our life is found in you. So, God, we pray that you would guide our steps. Lord, you would bring to our mind, where is it that we can be faithful? Where is it that we can pursue excellence? Where is it that we can serve and give and live lives that reflect who you are and what you've done? If you would, take a moment now and ask the Lord, just say, God, Bring it to mind, Lord, where, what's been given to me? Lord, where's my opportunity? Maybe it's, it's a person. Maybe it's, it's an environment. Maybe it's a workplace, a classroom, a, a family member. It's, it's someone or something in our minds that can, that can be raised up to the surface. Ask the Lord to convict you of that, to bring that to mind.
and then ask him to, to strengthen you to move forward in that, to be excellent, to ask him to be strong where you're weak, to provide encouragement where you begin to falter. Ask the Lord to bring that opportunity to mind and to help you be faithful with what you've been given. Ask him that right now. Hello, and welcome to the Grace College Podcast. My name is Kevin Barra. And I'm Jacob Smith. Uh, And we are here on the back end of the sermons to basically look back on the messages, dig a little bit deeper into what we were talking about, and look ahead at what's coming up in our ministry. That's right. Uh, So we started a new semester, 2018. We're here, baby. New year, new you. And (laughs) we are looking at the life of David, which has been super fun. So good. We're a couple weeks in. Uh, we are a little bit off, like we're not quite on like one for one on our talks so far. At our different campuses, yeah, yeah. a little bit off schedule from each other, but um, so far it's been really fun. Just and we still love the, each other, yeah. even though we're <laughs> well, not going, well, you know. Less though. I love it. <laughs> it's less love, but <laughs> so good. it's still there. Um but yeah, but it's it's been really cool. We're kind, we're following the same kind of timeline, but we're just we're at different points in it. And mm-hmm. uh, for example, yesterday at uh, Southwood, you guys talked about David and Goliath. We did, uh, but I'm not there yet. So at not Anderson, there. we were looking at his David's selection. We were looking at Samuel choosing him, mm-hmm. or you know, the Lord choosing him through Samuel. Uh, this kind of incredible selection in the midst of rejection. That's kind of the hmm. the way we're approaching it. The way it's framed in scripture is this idea that David has grown up in obscurity and just rejection on every level. No, no one likes yeah. him. No one wants him around. Yeah. Uh, and yet God looked at that and was like, no, like I'm, I'm choosing this guy. And so we talked a lot about um, just being faithful with where you are. Like even in the midst of rejection, there's something in front of you because what we see, saw in the life of David was that he was still pursuing excellence with what God had given him. He was with the sheep even after Samuel told him, you're going to be king. Like David, we find out a few verses later, you know, a short time later, he's he's back with the sheep and he's doing his day job. Um, and it, it, one of the stories that I, I wish I had time to share yesterday was uh, I had a seminary professor who graduated with his Ph.D., um, in, you know, missions, world kind of stuff. And he uh, took a job. He got a, an offer to come work on staff at a seminary, a huge seminary in Kenya. And so he left Dallas where he had been going to seminary, went to Kenya. And when he arrived, uh, they realized that they didn't have the funding quite right or they didn't – everything wasn't quite actually worked out. And so they didn't have the role they had promised him. Um, but he had moved his family to Kenya. And he's like, well, I'm here. Like, is there another, like, is there a redirection or redeployment? And they told him that what they really needed was someone to oversee facilities and to just kind of make sure that rooms were clean. Essentially, like, kind of be a janitor. And he did wow. it for three years wow. with a PhD. Um, he was the janitor. And he looks back on it and tells, to, just told us about how, like, man, it was this incredible molding time from the Lord hmm. uh, and he, to the point where he was like, you know, every seminary grad should go be a janitor for three years. He's like, because eventually what was incredible was that through that faithfulness, he wanted being the president of that seminary, this huge training institute over in Africa. Wow. And it, it was really just the product of him taking what God had given him and saying, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to be faithful with what's in front of me. 
And man, it's just a testament to who our God is that he he has a plan. Like there, there's a reason for what's happening. And so David saw that. Hmm. My prof saw that. Hopefully we see that in our lives. But yeah. man, it's, it's just a, it's a hard lesson. It's a good lesson, but it's hard. It is a very hard lesson. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I such humility. And it's funny, like God's training ground is often through creating moments where he, you get to, he gets to carve deep humility into us. Mm. I mean, what a, what a perfect example. What a horrible <laughs> way to learn it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, gosh, you know, I think we can all point to moments where we feel like we are not living up to our potential, mm-hmm. where our opportunities are not equaling the skills that we think we have, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the talents that we're bringing. And, uh, and yeah, the fact that God uses that humbling ground purposefully to shape character into you. That, will you be faithful even if you're not in the spot that you want? Mm-hmm. And gosh, uh, there is no greater lesson to learn. And um, man, yeah, David lived it perfectly. I yep. mean, he he went after the sheep when a lion or a bear are grabbing him. He's like, no, no, I just, I grabbed that sucker by the beard and beat it and took got the sheep back. I mean, you just see a tremendous faithfulness in his life. Mm. So it is it is fun to see that. So Life of David, please follow along with our sermons. Listen to them both. You'll get two different perspectives on the life of David, but really a lot of unity in, in some of these major themes throughout it. So love the life of David. It's one of my favorite studies to have. So I'm excited to go through it with you guys mm. over the semester. A couple of announcements we want to close with. Yeah, so coming up this month, uh, we have two big, big, big deadlines. Um, basically, right now is the spring, and therefore we're looking at the fall because that's just the way it works, the summer and the fall. And so this month in February are the deadlines for our fellows application and our summer missions application. So basically, um, if you're looking for opportunities to go overseas, to go share the gospel in places um, that people don't really get to hear it, uh, we would love for you to join us in that. Right. Uh, we have multiple locations. All the information's on our website at grace-bible.org. Um, but applications are due this month, ideally, right. or they are due this month. And then same thing for our fellows. Um, it's two-year program where you come on staff. You get ex- you get experience and exposure to just every facet of ministry. That's right both local and international, uh, and we just – we have so many people come through it every single year, and that – you know, the applications for that are due now though, because it, we have so many people to look through and interview. We close applications here in a couple of weeks. So, yeah. uh, and if, if you're really thinking about if – if, if full-time ministry is something you're thinking about in your future, yeah. um, this is a great opportunity. We have opportunity in children's ministry, youth ministry, college ministry, worship ministry, mm-hmm. media arts, production ministry. So any of those opportunities, if that's – if that's an exciting thing for you to learn more about, we would love for you to email us um, at kevinbarra at grace-bible.org or Jacob Smith at grace-bible.org, and we would love to talk to you more about our programs. So cool. with that, you guys have a great week. <laughs>